What up, what up, what up? Peace. My name is Sonny Toure. And I'm Akita G. And you are now listening to the Fire This Time podcast. And we are now on episode 11, Aki. Yes, we are. We so, back at uh, 11. So we we about to round the, the bases again, get the, get the 20 and 30, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But we're going to take our time with it. We're on episode 11 right mm-hmm. now. Be smooth with it. Try to take our time and get through that, you know. Um, we'd like to uh, welcome you all. Thank you for sh- coming in with us today. Um, please, as always, remember to tune in with us when you can and check out the episode so we can do things. And keep these things rolling for you. This week's episode is going to be on uh, celebrity worship and black celebrity and politics. And, you know, we're going to also discuss, you know, how these issues have manifested in Kamala's, you know, vice presidency election and or selection and, you know, the elite's response to it. Um, also in relation to a black agenda. You know mm-hmm. what happens to a black agenda during the electoral process? Yeah, what happens to a black agenda, a new African agenda, and you know, in this four year cycle that we're in? So, we'll be diving into that and a lot of the celebrity response and how that affects you know this cycle, you know what I'm saying? This Especially cycle. In, in how we choose Kamala, you know, there, or, or how she was chosen for us. There you go, but uh. <laughs> Before we get going too far into that, just another reminder to share and support the podcast on social media, uh, on your timelines, your story, whatever the case. Uh, you know, you can find us on Facebook at Fire This Time. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Fire This Time Pod, at Fire This Time Pod. And, you know, even if you're not sharing on your stories or on your timeline, just make sure you're sharing it with the one or two people in your life that you know, uh, you know, this message, this uh, podcast, the style that we come with. Always. You know what I'm saying? If it's going, if you feel like it might resonate with some people close to you, make sure you share it with them right now. You know what I'm saying? So uh, we can grow this conversation. You know, we can, you know, provide even more critical analysis, spread this critical analysis to these issues. And not just critical analysis, it's coming from a, a revolutionary new African point of view. Something that the people can feel. You know what I'm saying? If we not stuck up like these other, you know, let me not talk my cash shit right now. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Let me let me back up. Too yeah, early. Too yeah, early. too early for that. We're going to wait till episode 2025, start talking our shit. All right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, let, let's turn it back to uh, Black August. You know, we're still in August. This is our third episode now, commemorating Black August. And, uh, yeah, Aki, what do you want to say about Black August? Before uh, I, I'm going to start pulling up uh, the, the timeline again. Okay, then. We, we just want to make sure that people, you know, if you can get in tune with a, a Black August event, and, you know, also remember to fast, train, read, study, all the disciplines to the fullest. But um, on the 20th, which is this Thursday, we having Black August events every Thursday. On this Thursday, on the 20th, um, this Black August event will be the Cultural Revolution, Tearing Down Neo-Confederate Symbolisms. And that's going to be from 8.30 p.m. to, uh, well, that's going to start at 8.30 p.m. Um, you can check that out at uh, freedolandmxgm.org under the events, or you can go and check it out on the Facebook Live at MXGM National. And that's where it'll be streaming at. And please make sure to check in on that. And even if you can't check in on Thursday, you can just make that a fast day or something like that. Or, you know, just go do something revolutionary if you feel the need to. Um, We definitely are trying to keep this money in remembrance. You know, I've been finding out that a lot of other people have been actually, you know, saying celebrating Black August, too. So, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That's a real good thing. Black August is spreading. It's spreading. You know what I'm saying? That's great to see. 
it's really great to see. So, uh, with that being said, I, I got a shout out again, Black Man Build. Uh, it's a Facebook group, also Instagram page, also just you know really dope collective that I'm seeing growing. Uh, but on the Instagram page, every day they post uh, you know different uh, historical events or uh, occasions that have occurred on each day of Black August. So we started this last week. We're gonna continue, pick it up right from uh, August 11th. So this is August 11th, 1965. That was uh, the beginning of the Watts Rebellion. And that was the largest and costliest urban rebellion of the 1960s and a turning point in a string of urban rebellions. So we also have to think, you know, Malcolm X killed in 1965. Uh, you know, we know that this is a pivotal year and in, in not just black history, but U.S. history. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, uh, the urban, you know, we, we know how important that was. Anything you want to say about Watts? Um if you ain't ever looked at the Watts Rides and looked it up in history, check it out. It's a lot of symbolisms for what went down in Watts and what's going on right now. Okay. Uh, next one, August 12th, 2015. Hugo Pinnell is murdered in New Folsom Prison. Uh, also, August 12th, 1970, Steve Biko is arrested. Oh. So uh, let me just read a little bit of the caption here from Black Man Bill. On this day, August 12, 2015, Hugo Pinnell of the San Quentin Six was murdered in the New Folsom Prison. Pinnell had been in solitary confinement for nearly 45 years prior to being released into the general population. Two weeks later, he was murdered. And then on Steve Biko, on August 12, 1970, Bantu Stephen Biko was arrested for his work as an anti-apartheid activist in South Africa. Biko was a pivotal leader in the grassroots anti-apartheid campaign and the black consciousness movement during the 60s and 70s. So rest in peace to our ancestors. Most definitely. So um, just to keep it rolling, uh, next day is going to be August 14th. That's the next day they have listed here. Uh, On this day, Cecil Fatiman, a voodoo priestess, along with Duty Bookman, preside over the Bois the Bois Caiman, the site of the meeting in the northern mountains of Haiti, where it was said to be a ritual that was performed to overthrow French rule in Haiti. Mm. So we're looking at August 14th being the beginning of the Haitian Revolution. First black nation in the West. And uh, so it was a indigenous African spiritual ritual that kicked things off. Uh, Did a hoodoo ceremony. Right. So we can't focus too heavily on just Toussaint, you know, his actions. You know, Mm -hmm. we also got to focus on that cultural resistance or that culturally derived, African culturally derived resistance and voodoo and the spiritual systems Mm -hmm. associated with it. If we want to get that full understanding of what went down in Haiti. So, yeah, shout out to my Haitians. You know what I'm saying? They did that. First black nation in the West, baby. Yes, sir. So August 15th, just to keep it rolling. Uh, the UNIA releases the RBG flag as the neg- as the flag of the Negro people of the world. So uh, if if I look to my left, if you look to your right, we see an RBG flag hanging in the in the, in the uh, studio here. So that's our flag. We don't fly that red, uh, blue. I I, don't, I, f- I forget the color sometimes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of, that, of that rag, you know yeah, what I'm saying? That, that red, yeah. white, and blue. We don't fly that. Not around here, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah that the RBG is what we about. There you go. Uh, let's keep it going. Uh, August, uh, let's see. I don't see nothing for August 16th on here. We'll just do August 17th. Marcus Garvey is born. 
There we go. Marcus Garvey is born. So just to read a little bit about this, Marcus Garvey was born on August 17th. That is today, 1887, in St. Anne's Bay, Jamaica. He was the founder and the first president general of the United Negro Improvement Association, which he founded in 1914. So uh, that's actually going to be the topic of this week's fire. Just yes. to uh, put that plug in right here. So this week's fire, we're actually celebrating the life and legacy of our brother, uh, Marcus Garvey. The so, Honorable uh, Marcus Mosiah Garvey. We got to make sure we throw that title there we go. My bad. My bad. So go, go ahead and uh, you know, talk to the people a little bit about Marcus Garvey. You know, Marcus Garvey is that dude, the largest black organization that pretty much the world has seen so far. Um, he had populations. He had uh, chapters in Cuba. Um, he had chapters in America, South America, all through Central America, chapters in London. You know, Marcus Garvey was a bad man. And we have to remember, Marcus Garvey lived at a time when there was no African nation except one that was not under the hand of colonialism, you know? And that's what makes that red, black, and green so important to the people, you know? The red, black, and green was given to us when every other African people or black people around the planet Earth was under the rulership and under the control of a people and their flag mm. that wasn't of their own. Mm. That's a good context right there, you know? And so Marcus Garvey gave us this flag and told us in the Constitution of the UNIA that the Negro racist colors will be red, black, and green. And the flag is the symbol of the UNIA. So, you know, we need to start honoring those colors a little bit more. But even beyond that, Marcus Garvey sparked so many things, you know. The UNIA gave birth to many groups that's around here today, you know. Um, the, Garvey move, the Garvey movement gave birth to Nation of Islam, mm -hmm. Hebrew Israelites, Moore Science Temple, um... Um, hell. I mean, it's more I can't even think of. Well, we know that our organization that we're part of, the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement. Uh, I mean, you can tell by the name of the organization how many of us view Malcolm X. Yes. Uh, and both of Malcolm X's parents were both members of the UNIA. Yes. Malcolm X, as a child, remembers you know his father being uh, a minister or orator for the UNIA. You know, being part of those meetings, hearing that uh, that line of argument, and you know, yeah. and he hearing that you and I message, the message of Pan Africanism, of Black self determination, and getting it from his older sisters too. Right, his older sisters who was there at that time with him was getting that same information. But you can go even further in the in our movement, the New African Movement. Queen Mother Moore is a very important figure. And she was a member of the UNIA, and she actually met Marcus Garvey mm -hmm. at one point in time. Mm -hmm. Um, another man that was also important to Malcolm X was a man by the name of Carlos Cooks, who was a member of the UNIA. Started the um, African Nationalist Organization in Harlem. Him and Queen Mother Moore ran closely, tightly, and tightly knit with each other. And um, he was also one of the mentors to Malcolm X in Harlem. He worked with Harlem during the years of the um, organization of African-American unity and things of that such nature. So the UNIA is very important. They had their reach mm -hmm. and everything. Now, you, yeah, even though Marcus Garvey uh, did not step foot on the African continent. Never. The UNIA did. Yes. Th that organization did and, and, and even uh, supported uh, you know, some real important movements happening in Africa. Yeah. Uh, there's a professor here at the University of Illinois, uh, Dr. Eric McDuffie. Mm -hmm. While we had some, you know, other political differences, he does great, uh, some good scholarship 
mm. on uh, the UNIA's uh, involvement and relationship with the African continent. Oh yeah. So uh, you know that 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 connection is there, and it, and it, it it's important enough for us to you know look very closely at it. Well, you look at it in terms of um, Kwame Nkrumah studied in the United States, went to school in Philadelphia. He was a member of the UNA chapter, mm. Philadelphia. Zikiway, a Zikiway, out of Nigeria, who was also, um, I think he went to Philly too, same school. He was a member of the Garvey chapter. Mm-hmm. May not have been Philly, but I know he was a member because I seen his name and they highlighted it for me. Mm-hmm. All of these men went back to their respective countries and they started a movement. Um, Como Genyata, I mean, Com- uh, Jomo Kenyatta out of Kenya. And some other people, they were seeing Garvey when Garvey got banned out of the United States and they sent him down to Jamaica and they pretty much ran him out of Jamaica and he had to go to Britain, mm-hmm. was in London. That's where they heard him speak at, mm-hmm. in London, and they talk about it. So Marcus Garvey, hell, I think Ho Chi Minh mentioned seeing Garvey before in Harlem as, as a visitor to the United States and then being influenced by his nationalism. So it is a lot of, Garvey was a bad man. Mm-hmm. That's just say that he was a bad man around around the world, and even though he had conflict with some of our great scholars, you know Marcus Garvey was definitely a man to be given honor and praise to to do all of those things he did. Black Star Line. A lot of what we know about Marcus Garvey was also preserved by his wives, right? Yes. Uh, not, not just uh, Amy, but Amy. Uh, but also I think his first wife as well. If I'm getting the order correct, um, Amy, the the second wife. Um, Jack was mm. she preserved most of his works mm. but Amy Ashwood okay she was a hell of a woman too mm-hmm. you know um, she was in Ghana doing the work mm-hmm. she actually took that fight to Ghana mm. and uh, Nigeria and mm. places like that and Amy Jack was Garvey too his second wife was doing that, those things they were going to Ghana and they were going to Nigeria especially as these countries started forming their new independence and so those women were some strong ones and that's to say it raw the UNIA was built or started by Marcus Garvey and Amy Ashwood mm. she was there with them mm-hmm. and if you look at Marcus Garvey, when the UNIA was in its heyday at its, at its peak, the second wife, she was there and very prominent. So, you know, he didn't do this by himself. He definitely wasn't no, no chauvinist. He definitely was about keeping the ladies involved, and they did great work at that time, too, which is another thing that makes the UNIA stand out as a great organization and lead into Marcus Garvey's vision, you know. Right. That's an important note, you know, the, maybe the patriarchal, inclinations of certain historians mm-hmm. don't always paint the full picture don't paint usually full don't picture. and um you know the collaboration of black men and women in these pan-african black nationalist organizations throughout our history mm-hmm. is an important testament to um what we kept with us from africa you know you know and and how we've and how we've resisted european colonialism yeah you know, it's been our unity in, in our community. And, you know, that's what we have to uh, keep on fighting for a greater level of even today. So uh, with that being said, uh, Marcus Garvey, just to round out the discussion on him, uh, he passed away on June 10th, 1940 in London. His body was returned in Jamaica, 1964, and he was buried in Kingston's uh, National Heroes Park. So I think, uh, you know, once me and I can get some money together, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we got to sell some T-shirts or something. Mm-hmm. We're going to go to Jamaica, you know, mm-hmm. visit Garvey's 
uh, grave site. Maybe do a little vlog or something like that. You know what I'm saying? But definitely, I, that, that's definitely a site I want to see. You know, all jokes aside, mm-hmm. that's definitely a site I want to see. You know, Marcus Garvey's grave. Yeah, okay, I went to Jamaica before I seen it. Oh, you already <laughs> seen it? <laughs> so I went on the cruise, I keep. So right. I already seen it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? How, so how was it? When we it, it? It was nice. Marcus Garvey's actually on one of the dollars. Mm, okay. Yeah, over there. He's on one of the dollars over there. Um, Marcus Garvey never got to see Jamaica free. Mm. You know? But when they got free, they re- Marcus Garvey was the man making the calls for that in, in the early years. And you know, another group of people that helped it out that came out of the, the Garvey was the Rastafarians. Mm. Bob Marley, Peter Definitely. Tosh. They were one of those, that was that new age revolutionary spark, those children of Garvey that helped bring independence to Jamaica. Mm -hmm. The independence that it could get at the time. That's another conversation. Mm, That's a strong legacy. I gotta gotta look more into what Bob Barley, you know, what he felt about uh, Marcus Garvey. Hey, Rastafarians look at Garvey like a prophet. Mm. If they if they if if they rosters. Mm -hmm, The real, yeah. The real deal rosters. The ones I met over there. They was rocking red, black, and green. Mm. Some was rocking red, gold, and green. But either way, interchangeably, they was red, the rocking red, black, and green. Mm-hmm. And, and I got some of their stuff at the house. So, I, yeah, they... Shout out, Bob. Shout out, Peter Tosh. Definitely Peter Tosh. That's my man right, right. there. I mess Legal, with Peter. Legalize it. Yeah, I mess with Peter. Peter was beating up police officers, going to Ghana and everything. He was getting it in. <laughs> he was getting it in. Mm-hmm. And that's truly, that, and that tradition you described, that's, I know that's what we're trying to step in, you know what I'm saying, as artists ourselves, you know what I'm saying. I ain't trying to beat up a police officer right now, Key. No, I was talking <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about just you know the artist sparking the movement you know Indeed. the right yeah. you know the, the artists that uh, were like you said the sons and daughters of Garvey mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying and uh, you know we got different forms of art now you know different ways to disseminate our culture and our news and I know we participate in that you know what I'm saying trying to uh, spread this consciousness you know so with that being said much love to Marcus Garvey without Garvey's vision and the vision and, and the labor of everybody associated the millions of black people mm-hmm. connected with that organization uh you know what i'm saying we'll be in a different spot oh yeah we'll oh, yeah. be in a different place i've always said to me marcus garvey is the father of pan-africanism but he ain't the founder of it mm. got to get that credit to martin delaney <laughs> but he's definitely the father of it you don't see nobody around him around the world today throwing up that red black and green flag and don't know who garvey is and if you do, you might need to have a conversation with him. Give him some enlightenment. Mm-hmm. So much shout-outs to Marcus Garvey. Give you a shade free land and all of the revolutionary greetings you can give out to mm-hmm. a man. He get high honors. So, and, you know, man wasn't perfect, you know, yeah. and, and I hate to throw it in there, but it's important to, you know, try to take him in in his full context, you know. I think with Garvey, you know, there might be a level of him – Perceiving Africans as more primitive mm-hmm. or not uh, as less advanced. Yeah. Uh, and there's also maybe some inclinations culturally uh, for him to mm-hmm. maybe to Europe or Europeans in the way yeah. that he dressed and styled himself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but that that's just us taking him in, in his full breath, you know. So, yeah. I mean, any comments on, on any of those things? I think they're important enough to mention for our viewers, you know, because some people I know, they might have some, some real sharp divisions with Garvey because of some of those points, especially that first one. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there might be some African yeah. listeners that really have a, have a sharp... I, I say this, Garvey, 
And this is what told to me and the UNIA, because I, I, we had a question about that. It's got a section in some of the paperwork. They give you the foundational paperwork, and it talks about civilizing the uncivilized tribes of Africa and bringing them into the true worship of God and things of that such nature. It may not be exactly in quote, but if you read it, you'll see what I'm saying. Um, Garvey was trying to get on the continent. <laughs> he couldn't get on the continent. You know, um, some of that was, I think, indoctrination. You know, he from Jamaica. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Garvey, even though he sparked a lot of thought and alternative religion, he was a, a Christian and he was a Catholic, I think, if I recall right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so what I would say is that he lived in his time mm-hmm. and he had his he had some faults and drawbacks to it. Um, he was sort of relatively conservative, mm-hmm. you know, but um, that was the world that then. Most of our people back then were conservative. Many of our people, even now, are conservative. Yeah, you know, they're they just trying to talk to liberal shit. Of course, they might. There's a lot of black people that's conservative and just not allied with the Republican Party because of their yeah. outright racism. Yeah, and yeah, but they still conservative, right? You know. Um, so um, that's that's those things. The one thing we got to remember is that we can't make none of our heroes perfect. All of our heroes was men. You know, they wasn't no spook gods or nothing. They were all men and women, mm-hmm. human beings, blood, flesh, and bone. Mm-hmm. You know, and so when you living in blood, flesh, and bone, you make mistakes and you have drawbacks. You have things that you do. There's things Martin done did, things Malcolm done did, things, you know, other leaders that we have had come around, Frederick Douglass and a lot of other people who done did that I may not be in agreement with my revolutionary thinking mind today. Mm-hmm. But back in their day, that was maybe the option or the language or the or the viewpoint. Yeah, I mean, there's a, you know, that's part of, Maybe the drawback of some a lot of historical work and popular historians, you know what I'm saying, and just popular historical like discourse. Yeah. The lack of context and the, and and we can't. It's hard for us to read pragmatism into the past. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying. It's hard for us to understand maybe why you know the you know the the positions of a Garvey or a Booker T. Washington or a mm-hmm. Du Bois. You know what I'm saying. Were pragmatic choices you know what i'm saying yeah that you know you're right they didn't have, maybe they understood better than we do today in their time exactly how just how possible a revolutionary nationalist you know what i'm saying position mm-hmm. wasn't you know what i'm saying and how possible you know a more uh i guess neutral or moderate or uh you know differently styled type of what, campaign you know was. what do you think about it you know you can use booker t and garvey again even though Booker and T Bart and Garvey had some of those conservative views, they housed a lot of radicals. Yeah. They hid a lot of radicals. A good bit of the radical groups that came after UNIA was nursed in the UNIA. And we're gonna need, you know, a lot of that political unity today. You know. Oh yeah. Uh, and they but, did but, it across but, bo- all, across all lines. But they had a greater understanding of, of those big questions, and you know, Garvey was able to answer some of those big questions. We do not belong as part of the white world we mm-hmm. need to build a black society there you and go. it's on us they will never do it for us we will not be respected or be protected until we do for self yeah you can't so, expect them to do that, that. garvey answered some big questions for black for for black he america for the, the foundations 
He Politics today, organizations today, they're not answering those big questions or they're doing it in very symbolic or aesthetic ways, but not materially, not substantially are they confronting those questions yeah. about our relationship to this white society. I mean, and, I, and what should our activity, our political economic activity inside and outside our community look like? They're not answering a lot of those questions. I mean, I'm going to say it raw. I, when I was in the UNIA, North Carolina, and we went up to D.C., we met old UNIA members, old ones from New York, you know, um, Philly, D.C., and they was, like, literally telling us, like, when I was in the UNIA, I, I didn't have to worry about no job. They made sure people worked. Mm -hmm. You know, they had so many different networks with black business. And, of course, okay, yeah, you in Harlem. You know, you in Philadelphia in these years, which had a, a, a mini Harlem inside of it. But, like, they was like, yeah, man, I never went when I work. If I left out the house broke, I wasn't going back in the house broke. Mm. I was going to have some type of change or something in my pocket to be able to get me something to eat mm. and some food and stuff. Like, he addressed things. Like you said, he had a plan. And he built something. Now, after he left... You know, that's that that's another story. But when he was here, he built things that was sustainable and he was trying to envision something that was sustainable. We don't even talk about trade no more. When the last time you heard a black man talk about building a ship? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Or buying a ship. I'm gonna buy I'm gonna buy some ships. You ain't heard that lately. You ain't we ain't got into that. So, you know, I mean Garvey still we still gotta catch up to even some of the stuff he did. We may be able to theorize better than him. We may know more than him. Mm, talk about it, Aki. You know, we may have, we, we, Garvey's movement sparked a lot of the knowledge of self that we got running around here now that came from people that Garvey helped nurse in that organization and mm. said, okay, it's all right for you to love your own, study and, your own. And I think also Garvey was, you know, not just a leader of the UNI, mm -hmm. but also a steward of the utility played by the UNIA like yeah. like the, the UNIA was a natural outgrowth in in some sense of the conditions of black people at that time oh yeah you know what I'm saying oh, and yeah. I mean once you get an organization that's so active you know what I'm saying and once you get an organization that has so many members you know uh, you gotta I, do something exactly I, I, <laughs> it, it's not just Garvey at that point Garvey yeah. but Garvey is doing something very important yeah and and and, and providing or you know or, or just envisioning an organizational vehicle that was needed to capture this energy from the black community mm. and that's what it did you know what I'm saying yeah. so that, that's why it survives until today yeah that's why it uh, you know affected so much of black politics for decades afterwards yeah uh, you know, because the UNIA was, um, you know, an outgrowth of a, of a political tradition. You know what I'm saying? And, and it played a pivotal role within the political within, within the political tradition. Yeah, and he gave, like I said, it was a house in place. It wasn't so much that Garvey was doing all the theorizing. Garvey generally gave. He was a different tone from the other leaders at the time. Oh, yeah, you know, there's a couple of other ones. Like Hubert Harrison, he was out there on the street corner getting it in, too. You know, he was banging just as hard as Garvey, as far as oratory-wise. But Garvey was a place to house those young writers. You see what I'm saying? Those um, young thinkers 
those young historians that's starting to go off to school and read and then do different things. Right. And then also there were he allowed for you to have leadership in those things. And and for it not to be facilitated through white white funding or white institutions or white legitimization mm-hmm. is important. You know what I'm saying? A lot of the people at the time looked down on black leaders at the time looked down on him. Uh, for some of that too, you yeah. know what I'm saying like he was looked down on in a lot of ways by WB Du Bois. Yeah, you know, and that conflicts for another episode. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I I, th- I hope with this segment, you know, we was able to present, you know, a uh, 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 positive, you know, a man worth researching, right? A movement worth researching. Yeah, I would say the movement because it wasn't just Garvey; it, it was plenty of other people, and it. I, you know, there's a lot of women, too, that's in the Garvey movement that was making stuff. The Garvey was ran by a woman at one point in time. Mm-hmm. When Marcus Garvey was gone, it was a woman who was running. So, you know, um, we you know, we definitely is a movement worth looking at. And, and the use to some extent, not fully in context, but we can use it as a model of forming some modern day organizations, you mm-hmm. know. And formations right now. Yeah. Modern day institutions, you know what I'm there saying? You go. That do for self, that don't, you know. Most definitely. That's what we're getting back to, y'all. On this black power wave, uh, you know, that Black Lives Matter stuff that's out. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm we're not asking black people, I mean, white people, to see our lives as mattering. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're all about building up the power to defend those lives. That's what there it's about. Go. Building mm-hmm. up the capacity to do for self. Yeah. Building up the power to defend those lives and building up the power to, that you can look and not get stupid enough <laughs> to try to do something to one of them. Yeah, you're right. You know? So, yeah, I mean, Marcus Garvey, what he would say about our politics is they're trying to impress upon white people to care about us or impress upon white people to allow us into their institutions. Still in 2020. Uh, yeah, he would have a lot, <laughs> a lot to say. Imagine that speech. Uh... Hey, Marcus Garvey like this, man. What'd he say? He say the nature of the white man is one of three things. He say nature of the white man is to enslave, exploit, and if he can't enslave you and exploit you, he'll exterminate you. And we're being enslaved and exploited right now and exterminated. And people are looking for within the cracks and crevices that seep into the hell of white society mm-hmm. for empowerment. Yeah, you know, they're trying to slip through this hell that we in. Yeah, towards you know a different type of hell, uh, you know, and trying to find empowerment in this game and this rat race. Yeah, and Garvey's uh, solution is that is that the Negro man needs the Negro people have to be power. They gotta have power. Say the only thing that's gonna repel him and he respect is power and force. You can't agree and appease him. That's Garvey. Now you know that ain't gonna fit into most people's mind right now. Exactly. So our, our next segment, you know, it's gonna it's gonna carry on a lot of the, a lot of these themes. Yeah, we're know. gonna roll into that. Uh, we're gonna take a break before we get there. But the next segment is gonna be on celebrity worship and the role of the black celebrity in black politics today. Yeah. And uh, especially we're gonna look at this in light of Kamala Harris being chosen, selected. Uh, reprogrammed by the Democratic Party. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, reprogrammed. <laughs> Definitely to, right. To be the uh, you know VP for Biden, and probably if Biden wins, the eventual president. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about the black celebrity black celebrity response uh, to that, and what it means for black politics overall. Because um, yeah, the black black uh, celebrities 
You know, they're, they're trying to speak for us. They're trying to capture our attention. They're trying to coerce us to go along, you know, with, uh, I guess, a forfeiture mm-hmm. of our own agenda. A forfeiture for however, I don't care how long they, they're proposing, you yeah. know, but they're asking us to forfeit our call for a black agenda uh, to be taken up for and, Kamala. Ta- and taken seriously for Kamala. And yeah, we got to talk about that. So I'm speaking too much. We're going to take a break. Free to land. Peace. What up, y'all? So we back up in this thing. Peace. Second segment of episode 11. And uh, now we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the main topic for this episode. Now that we wrapped up our conversation on Garvey, we kind of want to get into uh, a conversation of black celebrity black politics and uh you know put both of those things in the conversation within the context of kamala harris being chosen as uh joe biden's vice presidential uh running mate mm-hmm. so uh the news just came out recently came out within the past week i believe so yeah. uh aki go ahead and give us you know um some somewhat of a response you know what was some of your initial reaction to hearing this news bro i mean um you know um, I got off, you know, I, when I when I heard that she was chosen as the vice president, um, I was I wasn't really shocked because her name was being floated real heavy before, so I guess I wasn't even really shocked about it. But like, um, you know, I I had already sort of did a little research on her from the 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 presidential, you know, choice when she was running. And I was just surprised that they would choose to put her there when she, you know, she took that she took that L real bad in the presidential. Yeah, you know, but even back then, I was thinking like all the flack that Kamala Harris has taken for her prosecute uh, prosecutor record, mm-hmm. it might look bad on her right now. But whether it's the next the next ele- election cycle or whatever, it's going to come back and be a virtue for her in her political career. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that she was a, a a hard prosecutor in a sense. You know, of course, there's some progressive things that she did, but there's also some problematic and, and, and uh, you know, Kamala Harris, in multiple instances, celebrates her role as a cop, her yeah. role as a prosecutor. Mm-hmm. You know, she, you know, she celebrated the fact that she was California's top cop. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there is something that comes with that. So, um, yeah, I guess for me and how, I, you know, I kind of just reacted to Kamala Harris being chosen. Uh, yeah, somewhat expected, you know, like, like you said. Mm. And uh, I think it's clear, bro, you know what I'm saying, uh, that uh, I guess uh, amongst the list of potential VP selections mm-hmm. that Biden could have made. Yeah. Uh, she was probably the most progressive among them. Yeah. And um, there's no doubt that, uh, you know, compared to uh, Biden, Trump, or even Obama, yeah, I think you could even say Kamala might be more progressive on some things than Obama yeah, uh, in terms of uh, the economy or, or certain social justice issues. With all that being said, you know, uh, of course, having her in office is a step in a better direction. Uh, I guess for the the federal policy. Yeah. Uh, now, what that means outside of federal policy, that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. Because because we know even if 
uh, Kamala is vice president or president. That doesn't mean she's going to have the power vested in her by the elites of this society. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, to, to, to make her platform, however progressive it might be, mm-hmm. come to fruition. And uh, there's no guarantee that social movement will be there to, to, to give, her that, give her that people power, nor does it seem like she's very, even courting yeah. that type of people power to support her political platform. Yeah. She, she's not that type of candidate. Yeah. So um, with all that being said, you know, my reaction to it initially is less about who Kamala is as a candidate, what she might do policy wise. And it's more about how are how is the black community and black leaders or so-called leaders reacting to it? And what does that say about our posture and our preparedness, our willingness to set a black agenda and to uh, carry it out or to or to, to build for self? Yeah, because, of course, in my politic, in my frame of the political situation. Mm-hmm. We're never going to be accepted at, in mass, you know yeah. what I'm saying, within this system, treated as equals within this system. Uh, mm-hmm. There is a place for reform within that. There's a place for participation in the electoral process within that. Yeah. But some of this excitement, some of this giddiness, you know what I'm saying, people shaking and, and, and smiling with, you know what I'm saying, like with excitement. Uh, about this is is very troubling to me because there's not a black agenda that we're united around it's a national more, level. It's more, it's more Obama magic. Hmm. Obama number two, black face, white mask. Hmm. You know, um, one it could be because we haven't formulated. Even though we we first of all, black people have made plenty of black agendas. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to make it like we ain't made plenty of them, but. In a, in a political stance, in unity, or in mass, a political agenda, we hadn't really did that in, in, the, in the, you know, recent 20, 30 years, maybe. Right, because the major political organization, Black Lives Matter, yeah. are wed to the Democratic Party. They're mm-hmm. wed to the four-year election cycle, it seems. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're not a far departure of what's already out there. And yeah. they're definitely, the black, you know... That leadership, the current leadership was not, of course, we know, as discussed before on the Fire This Time podcast, not selected by us. Yes. Because we don't own, we don't control uh, the media that, I guess, our people, uh, you know, use yeah. uh, as much as we should, as much as we did before in past movements like the Black Power Movement. Yes. We had much more of a black institutional base to spread our news and to select leaders. Mm-hmm. Now our, our leaders are selected for us. Now the organizations that lead our movements, in a sense, are selected for us. Yeah. But, you know, of course, we're building the capacity now to reverse that yeah, and, and to change that. And we don't really have a a, 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 a political leadership or political mass movements. So, right. No leadership that's that's answering those big questions. And that's dedicated the, to us. Right. So there's, there's no political organization on a mass national level that's answering the big questions of our relationship to you to the united states in ways that the black masses black working class will find resonates with them mm-hmm. because we know our relationship with the united states will never be one of equal with whites nor do we want to be equal under our unjust system true indeed and we need a, a political organization that's that answers those big questions mm-hmm. and i don't think black lives matter have, has done that yeah. I, I think that you know it it, it, it skirts the line in the fence of incorporation and integration, assimilation and reform of the current system, uh, you know, and it doesn't, you know, seek to, to address 
those, those bigger questions of our relationship. So no organization like that is producing an agenda or a platform yeah. and or, or a movement them. that could that could even pressure Kamala. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So I see a very for me, I see a very dire situation, a crisis yeah. situation within black politics mm-hmm. with us not, you know, us having very symbolic and aesthetically pleasing organizations and platforms maybe. Mm-hmm. But nothing that is reaching the black working class on a mass scale. Well, it's, no, a, it's a crisis it got, situation. It, it got affect. It, it got to be shit that affect them, and and so like, it like I say to me, it's the Obama magic. Mm-hmm. You know, we went into a Barack. We went into the situation with Barack Obama not having an agenda and not making no damn demands. Mm-hmm. And eight years of him, you didn't get shit. Right. Then you come out of that eight years. And now you realize, damn, we got Trump. Trump start kicking in the game banging real good. Shit start happening. Houses start getting lost. You know what I'm saying? People start getting shot in the street by police. And the racism ramp back up in. Now, y'all are seeming just excited about Kamala like you were seeming excited about Harris. And the question is, are you going to have an agenda for her? Or are you even going to be able to make demands to her? And so, like, even with Black Lives Matter, they're not the only ones. The Congressional Black Caucus is just as guilty. The NAACP is just as guilty. The Urban League is just as guilty. All of these groups who say they about us have never produced the, the, uh, an agenda. Have, they, they won't even entertain sometimes having an agenda. Because once they get in the room with organizations that actually represent the interests of the black working class, you know what I'm saying, and they hear the demands or they hear the positions of the black working class, mm-hmm. they abandon those coalitions yeah. or or they sabotage them in some ways. Yeah. Or they just, you know, don't commit the energy or the resources that they have access to and they they let those coalitions flounder or not, not go the direction they need to, you know, because they're, they're you know, usually led by these do-nothing, lazy you know, integrationist ass uh, America, so-called leaders. Uh, American, American Negro colonial visualizee. Right. And uh, the black celebrity class is not separate from that. Oh, hell no. You know what I'm saying? It, it's, a, it's a part of that. So when we talk about the black celebrity class, you know what I'm saying, just looking for reasons to, uh, you know, it, I guess ignore the responsibility of a, of a black self-determination, a black agenda. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and and pushing us to fall once again into this uh, this white cycle of electoral politics. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We're, we're just supposed to wait for this white savior or a savior within this system to, to direct this society back to where we needed to go. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Ava DuVernay. Of course, we know Ava DuVernay is a director, a black woman film director. And uh, she was uh, also directed the documentary The 13th about the criminal justice system. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot to say about that documentary, but uh, just with that context of who she is and the fact that she is a participant within the popular discourse on the criminal justice system. She's a leader Mm -hmm. in a sense, an intellectual leader, a thought leader within this, uh, you know, part of the discourse, given where her work falls. Mm -hmm. So Kamala Harris, as a prosecutor, as somebody who does not have a perfect prosecutorial record, 
somebody who you know it, you can very easily argue is not a progressive prosecutor in terms of what they allowed for under their watch in California mm -hmm. with uh, you know uh, people's cases being treated unjustly people staying in prison you know uh, for obscene amounts of time Extreme even even truancy enforcement mm -hmm. Even while they're innocent, just because Kamala Harris wants to protect her prosecutorial record. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll, we'll put some links for some articles that really dig into that. I know some people say it's only Russian bots that have these critiques of Kamala. Mm -mm. Uh, well, uh, I, <laughs> we won't get into that. Yeah. But uh, th let's, let's get back to Ava DuVernay's comments, right? Mm -hmm. um, so th let's see what she has to say. Um, there is no debate anymore. This is what Avery DuVernay says on Instagram. There's no debate anymore. There's no room for it in my book. We either make this happen or literally more of us perish. People are dying. Someone I love died. The virus is real. If it hasn't visited your doorstep, it will. Oh, but Kamala did this or she didn't do that. I hear you. I know. And I don't care. Because what she didn't do is abandon citizens in a pandemic, rip babies from their mother's arms at the border, send federal troops to terrorize protesters, manufacture new ways to suppress black and brown votes, actively disrespect indigenous people and land, traffic and white supremacist rhetoric in an effort to stir racist violence at every turn, attempt to dismantle most American democratic systems of checks and balances degrade women all day, every day, infect the Supreme Court with another misogynistic hack, demolish America standing on climate, actively cultivate and further white supremacist structures and systems across all aspects of American daily life. I know, mouthful, I'm sorry. I mean, this is still Ava DuVernay. I mean, that's what she didn't do, speaking about Kamala. So I don't want to hear anything bad about her. It doesn't matter to me. Again, Avery DuVernay, within 24 hours of Kamala Harris being selected as VP, says, so I don't want to hear anything bad about her. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, vote them in and then let's hold them accountable. Vote them in and then let's hold them accountable. Anything other than that is insanity. And I would respond to that, Aki, mm. and say what Avery DuVernay just proposed is insanity. True. To think that this is a time where we can just focus on getting one white supremacist out of office to instill another one. Mm -hmm. To get one abuser of human rights, two abusers of human rights, Trump and Pence, to install two new ones, Biden and Harris. Mm -hmm. They're both abusers of human rights. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think about it in the L. You can even go... Like but, but I keep to think that that is it trumps anything about a black agenda fighting for a black agenda the it, and just the rhetoric mm -hmm. just the rhetoric behind it it encourages a posture of just relinquishing you know mm -hmm. what i'm saying our struggle for independence to uh this electoral process once again what do you mean it's insanity to talk about anything else what do you mean it's insanity to have a critique so support in Ava DuVernay, DuVernay's mind, support for Kamala Harris mm -hmm. or support for or resistance to Trump means a forfeiture of any critique for Kamala. I guess it do for them. But uh, I, 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 it just comes to mind. Would Ava DuVernay feel this way if the numbers of black men and black women in the criminal justice system were switched? Probably not. Probably not. Like, well, it, it, it really 
it sort of stuns me on it because okay, you you do this documentary, thirteen, right? Which is pretty much talking about the 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 um enslavement, modern day enslavement of the African American people here in America, specifically through the penal system, right? Then now you co-sign a prosecutor who to some extent helped in that. I won't say she upheld it. I will. Definitely upheld it. You know, it, well, it, well, well, and, and, and you can. I, I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. Look, Kamala Harris believes her participation in it can fundamentally transform it or she feels like or the people that follow her and support her feel that that can happen but just yeah. like this when you fighting against wrong with convictions and then your office is coming up to be liars and this happened on one or more occasions you doing truancies and locking up black parents well I don't know if any parents got locked up through no. that that policy but no. the threat itself is, is you know one that contains violence mm-hmm uh, most of them got locked up. Not most of them, but um, the ones who they took, they did go to jail. They, oh, probably, they got back out. So they they did put people in jail. Yeah, them. I know. We know of one who definitely went to jail. Oh. She's one been the one speaking out oh, okay. lately, and she went to jail. She got right back out. She mm. got out in the same day. Mm. But the fact that they came and got her, mm. and and come to find out that um, when they when when you do the research on that situation, the reason why her daughter was missing school was because her daughter had sickle cell. Hmm. Damn. So she was having ailments, mm-hmm. you know, but that's something that you would have your prosecution office check out. Um, so it's like for a person to be doing documentaries about the 13th Amendment and the criminal justice system and the wrongdoings Look, that it's doing. Anybody that can sit on their hands for any amount of time, even in Kamala Harris's case, years on for multiple uh, people locked up sitting on the type of processes and resisting the processes that could have freed them mm-hmm. and provided justice to their case to protect her prosecutorial record, you know, and her office's success rate, you know, she, she hindered those efforts. Mm-hmm. That's fact. Yeah. And for a person to do that and participate in the system on that level, and you affect even one human life on that level, you know what I'm saying? That's deeply troubling on a moral level. Mm. And, um, you know, to be to not be able to say that, admit that in fears of, you know, uh, I mean, look, we have Avery DuVernay, who is, like we said, a leader on pop- popular discourse on the, you know, the criminal justice system. He's uh, saying that she doesn't want to hear any of these critiques. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this this gets into, you know, a lot of why black men don't feel much connection to the Democratic Party or not maybe not as much as uh, other groups. Yeah. Because we don't see a political platform from the Democratic Party that addresses the plight of black men. True indeed. And we see any critique levied against the Democratic Party uh, in pursuit of that marginalized even by so-called leaders within our community. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like Ava DuVernay. Yeah. Black men levy a critique that's righteous on that's not just Russian bots on mm-hmm. Kamala's record. If you think it's just Russian bots, it's just because of the uh, siloed echo chamber that you're reading and engaging this news with. That's it. I mean, you know, Kamala 
could be harmful to the um the upliftment and the upward mobility, not even mobility, but you know the advancement of black people, of our black people here in North America. You know, we have to look at every one of our candidate candidates in a and in a, in, in, I don't even like to say R. We have to look at every candidate with a measured eye. You know, um, we can't get caught up in the symbolisms of her. M- most of what I see people co-signing for her is not really about her policies, I don't think. It's about how she look. It's about her identity, and it's about anti-Trump. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's not necessarily. It's that type. It's the same excitement I've seen about Barack. You know, every position she holds is lukewarm, like on the economy or social issues. Yeah, all of her positions are lukewarm when compared to AOC or Bernie mm-hmm. uh, or somebody to her left. Yeah. So, uh, so and also they're all recent type of. Uh, you know, a lot of her positions, progressive positions, are recent. So yeah. I, I, how are we even supposed to trust that she's going to hold? Do, do people hold on even more closely to recently found positions as they near closer to the White House, as they get into the White House? That's how it always is. Do, do, no. Do they embrace them once they get in the White House or do they marginalize them or do they cast them away mm-hmm. as part of their, you know, embrace of this new so-called power they got new so-called position when they get up in there i mean what threw me off with her was when she her her conversation about reparations let's talk about that you know um i'm as as a black man african-american new african whatever you want to call me here you know reparations is sort of center for me and um like we talking about this well this uh um, wealth income gap and all of these things that are real that that is real um, her stance was sort of lukewarm to me. Let's review what she said. So she was asked, uh, I think by the Grio or something. Yeah, it was on the Grio. And she was asked about how do you feel about reparations for African Americans. She gave this long-winded answer that spoke to all the injustice. She she didn't answer it, yes or no. She spoke to the the injustices that we faced mm-hmm. through the centuries. And then she said she ended her comment by basically saying no by saying. I support economic policy that would affect all African American that would affect all American citizens, and then African Americans being disproportionately impoverished or without wealth would be helped disproportionately more. But I mean, uh, just by the rising tide, you know, mm-hmm. if we do if we do something like uh, provide this tax incentive or tax break for all Americans. Yeah. Below this wealth level, hundred thousand dollars. Right. This will disproportionately help African Americans. Yeah. But what she says in that is, and what she said multiple times, Aki. Yeah. She does not support black African American descendant of a slave specific reparations, well, she, specific policy to redress to repair what's happened to us. She well, doesn't support it. Well, but she she pretty much stated that in her answer because. Right. Reparations is something that goes specifically to a specific group. Mm-hmm. It's not a reparations of the country. It's a reparations to a specific group. In order for you to change the racial wealth gap, you have to change that specific group who is suffering from that racial wealth gap. If you do something that benefits all Americans, they are going to grow even more in the racial wealth gap. 
and they're going to go even lower in the racial wealth gap. What's good for everybody ain't always good for black people. What's good for black people ain't always good for everybody. Everybody was not enslaved. Everybody did not go to Jim Crow. Everybody did not go through redlining. Everybody did not go through discrimination in schools, housing, and all this other fucked up shit that the U.S. government has done to us. We are a Pacific group with a Pacific charge and a Pacific claim. Her, and this is why I say the symbolism shit and the appearance plays tricks on niggas. Just because she look like one of us don't mean she one of us. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Why is she going to co-sign reparations? Why? Like, her, like we think just because she went to Howard, she going to co-sign reparations? She a politician. Mm -hmm. And for the longest, she put the Indian American before the black. You know what I'm saying? So, oh, oh, the, it, I mean, at this point, it should go without saying. I don't understand why so many people are fighting over themselves to labor her, label her or argue why why she's just as black as us. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, that argument is boring to me at this point just because, you know, if if somebody, you know what I'm saying, like, we had to get into the what does blackness mean? And it, is it out, has it outlived its usefulness in some sense? Yeah, you know what I'm saying because Kamala Harris not being a descendant of slavery in this country uh, and not sharing our views, our, our standing in solidarity with us on our calls for reparations. Uh, you know what does this mean? Because I mean, blackness in some sense should be, I'm thinking, a socio-political position. You know, against uh, assimilation into white society, into the society that is oppressing us. That's what it technically is. That's what it should be, right? Black uh, and Lou Turner always says this: blackness is revolutionary, or it's nothing. True. Kamala Harris is the type of blackness which makes it mean nothing. Yeah. Kamala Harris's blackness makes blackness mean nothing. Yeah. Uh, the, like, like, and and I always, you know, and I, I put it into perspective. Okay, you can look at Kamala Harris. I know plenty of other um, 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 African-Americans who look like Kamala. Mm -hmm. Know plenty of them, right? So if I was walking up on her and didn't know her background, I would think she would be one of me, mm -hmm. you know, from the same group. And that happens with all of us. When we meet Africans, Jamaicans, you may be thinking he's straight, African-American, then you speak to him, he starts speaking a whole other language, mm -hmm. right? So you can't just go off of, of appearance, you know what I'm saying, with people. Bar Barack fit the same program. He fit the same program. You wasn't raised in our communities. Right. So you didn't see the game banging, the drug dealing, the crackheads, the liquor stores. The, you know what I'm saying? You didn't see none of that. Both you were raised in a privileged community. Or you might you might have just visited. Or went by it. Right. On the way there. You know, you were raised in a privileged community. You sought your blackness. Because both of them do have a blackness to them in a the sense of they have the blood of an African in them. Mm -hmm. You you were here in America. Both of you have relationships that's not that great with your pops, meaning that whether it was a bad relationship between you, it probably wasn't a bad relationship between you and but you wasn't raised around him. Right? So you look and you find your blackness here. Go to the schools doing churches and all of that we don't got no problem with that mm -hmm. right that's right you know we don't got no problem with that we've been doing that you know but then it becomes the question of 
who is your loyalty to? Right. You can do just like what Barocko did. I mean, Barack did. He, you, we, he, we, we were used to get him in office. He got in office. Pay, pay no attention to us for eight years. He got our office. What Barack doing right now? Chilling and getting paid. That's what he doing. I'm seeing the same shit finna happen with Kamala. Would you have voted for Barack Obama if he was married to a white woman? Uh, come on, you, you know the answer to that. He wouldn't even made it that far. You know what I'm saying? He wouldn't have made it that far. And so now I want to know: Are you going to vote for Kamala? And she got a white dude, Jewish guy. If you can stand the image, like, like, I, I'm not, not, I'm not saying nothing's wrong with that, or nothing's right with that. The only children Kamala got are white children, her stepchildren, right? Her stepchildren. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I would think that would, like, I know for a fact, if Barack Obama had a white wife, he wouldn't have gotten in office. He wouldn't have got the black community support. He might have gotten office, but he might he wouldn't have got our support. We voted for him. A good bit of us, and niggas can lie if they want to and say they didn't. Because of what he had on his arm. We seen a sister on his arm. And we was like, oh, he got him a sister? Ah hell. I, I, me and my black power self was even that way. Made me even double think like, okay, well, you might, you know what I'm saying? The first Obama I seen speak was Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama came to my high school in Evansville, Indiana and spoke mm. in my gymnasium. I'm, yeah. You know? I remember that. I mean, that that symbolism is something big. So now the question is, is Barack had a strong black woman behind him. Enforcing or reinforcing that, right? What we gonna get from her? Right? Like, maybe I'm old fashioned. Matter of fact, maybe it's the Garvey in me. Give a shout out to Big Garvey today, you know? Who you choose as your mate speaks a lot to me. It speaks a lot to me of how you view yourself and the pride that you have for yourself. Now, that don't go across the board with everybody, but for me, it does. Right? Um, And I can understand what Kamala's upbringing, you know what I'm saying, maybe why she made that choice. Nigga, you went to Howard. But, you know, Howard might not have been as pivotal as we are thinking it was for... And, and, and that's what I mean. For her. You know see, what I'm saying? See, for... For a person, like, if you raised in a black community, you generally grow up black and black men or women. It's what's around you. You go to high schools, you go to dances, you go to proms, you go to an HBCU. Obviously, you want to be around black folks. You like to be around the sisters. You like to be around the brothers, mm -hmm. right? How did you go from that? To a white Jewish dude Like where you meet this nigga at I mean but you If you're not authentically black Before you go to Howard Howard's not gonna make you Authentically black Exactly If you was raised You going back and forth to India Right And see I just think 
Because we didn't ask these questions with Barack. Now we asking these questions now with her. You see what I'm saying? Barack's father was from Africa. His mama was a white woman. He was never raised in a black community. You see what I'm saying? The racism that you got ain't the same racism that me as an African-American male whose grandmama's from South Carolina and the father side of the family out of Mississippi and they fled up north because of Jim Crow laws. You see what I'm saying? That's a whole different thing. What we're fighting for is to change a literal... This is legacy shit. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? So when I look at a person... I, I, it, it's been plenty of black people who may have not been from America who've done great work to help African Americans. We talked about one today. Garvey. There's been plenty of them. You know what I'm saying? That did good works for us. So that's not the measurement I want to take it there to. But I'm like, nigga, we're going to fall for the same trick we did with Barack. And a lot of the argument is the idea that Kamala, we can exert more pressure on Kamala. Yeah, that's what And, and Biden said. than we can on Trump. And in some regards, I think that's true. But in some regards, I think with reparations, you know, we might come to find out that it's actually not the case. You know what I'm saying? Where Kamala might actually act, act as a shield or a block, you know what I'm saying, uh, a way, you know what I'm saying, another obstacle in the way because she doesn't support it. She's a black face in the highest office that doesn't support it. So, uh, you know, I, we really have to demystify this idea of black faces in these high offices, you know what I'm saying? And I think, you know, just to carry the conversation out a little bit more beyond Kamala, um, we also have Sean King, uh, who uh, a few years ago uh, did not support Kamala. Um, yeah, 2018. Now he with the program. Be because of, yeah, because of Kamala and Biden's attachment to the criminal uh, justice, injustice system. Mm -hmm. Of course, with Biden and the crime bill in the 90s, Kamala, her, her record as a prosecutor. Uh, of course, in, in 2020, his views began to change. And I think it's important to read part of why he describes the change, just to provide that full view. Mm -hmm. um, like we said, Sean King says that uh, Kamala was the most progressive candidate amongst the credible finalist list for the VP. He says that she has improved drastically on all justice and policing related, related issues since she was a DA in 2011. And uh, he says that the senator has growth on issues of justice, mass incarceration, police accountability, decriminalization, legalization of marijuana, the end of qualified immunity and more. And, you know, I agree with a lot of those sentiments. You know, mm -hmm. if, if indeed Kamala has shown improvement, uh, that is something to take into account. I think it's something to be wary and cautious of the fact that as she's revving up her political career, she takes on more progressive positions as she as she moves out of her prosecutor career mm -hmm. into the limelight yeah uh within the democratic party i think we should be wary if she really supports those things and expect that she does not yeah or expect that she won't have the backbone to risk and sacrifice and really work for her. Mm -hmm. we shouldn't expect that she will do those things yeah. i'm not sure exactly what she's done to indicate that she will have that fierce political backbone needed to bring about these changes yeah. people have been calling for for you mm -hmm. know, a long time um but yeah, you know, there's a lot to talk about with Black Select. I think at the end of the day, of course, we just need to build up our capacity to select our own leaders, yeah. to have our own media that can communicate our ideas to our people. 
And that's what the fire this time is trying to contribute to. Mm-hmm. So I guess, Aki, is there anything else you want to say? Uh, I mean, I think there's, there's more to say, I think, on the uh, issue of celebrity. I mean, I just... Malcolm X made a quote one time speaking about this, and he says, no people choose a celebrity as their leaders, mm-hmm. you know, as their politicians. We just can't... Like, I'm, I'm ready for now the real political black loyal voices to step up. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, you know, I hate to have to go back to the, like, the 60s, but, like, when back in the 60s, they were talking... To like real people, Malcolm, Martin, Baldwin, you know what I'm saying? They were talking to real thinkers, mm-hmm. political activists. Like I don't, we don't have a prominent one like that. Oh no, an institutional organization that's set up by the black community for the black community that. Houses that and takes that agenda to them. Oh, you want to talk to black people politically about this? Well, you might as well go down there and talk to them. They, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's where you can find out. There were a set of organizations that did that. You know, civil rights and black power movements. Yeah. You know, there were organizations that comprised that type of uh, institutional vehicle. Yeah. So you know, think about the, SNCC, SELC, NAACP. Yeah. As far as their connectivity and mm-hmm. relationship with the black community was such at that time. Where that it, you're right, that process could take place. Yeah, we. But we, now this is nowadays is communicated through very individualistic leadership type relationships, so called yeah. leadership relationships. Now with Kamala, her blackness, Kamala's blackness only finds utility in what we think it says about our relationship with Kamala. Yeah. What else does her her blackness mean? You know what I'm saying? She uses it in a way to define connectivity with us. As far mm-hmm. as the the black cultural type of uh, attributes that she's taken on within her own life, you know, I, I think are pretty meaningless. She doesn't have any black children. She has a white husband. So what, does, she, does, she, does she just practice her black culture solo? Yeah. yeah. And, and I'll be trying to figure out because, like, you know, to me, to be an African-American... A black American, whatever you want to call it, new, new African problem. You got to have that life. Like, you got to live a black life. And we don't all live poor. We don't all come up struggling. Some of us come from good homes, good communities. Mm-hmm. And that. But that black life experience, I don't read that off of her. I don't, I don't sense that, like, you know... Like, how much were you around us? Were you around us in your high school years? Okay, you probably went to high school. You might have black friends. So all these black celebrities that, you know, that are part of that industry, the Mm -hmm. media industry, the film, music industry, or the academic industry, uh, you know, they also, you know, uh, latch on to these very symbolic aesthetic forms of blackness. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's why we see Kamala resonating so warmly with them. Mm-hmm. Because they see it also in terms of their own advancement. Yeah, you know, like they know if Kamala gets on, this is going to open doors for my class, my black petty there bourgeois you go. class. Most celebrities, and this is why we have to be wary of black celebrities. Most black celebrities don't have the interests of the people; they have the interests of their pockets. Black elites, not just cele- yeah, we'll say elites in, in this yeah. as well, because the, the, um, because these black academics, these black politicians. 
You know, they right there with the celebrities. And, and, and I and I would say that for a lot of the artists, and not all artists, but like I can I can look at it's sad to say it like this, and I don't want to stereotype because it's one of my first loves. But even in hip hop, the chase the bag culture, mm-hmm. get the bag. You know, that is a very individualistic mind state. It comes from the way we live in our oppressed communities. And Kamala fits so nicely with get the bag culture. Because Kamala was just an individual doing her job in the criminal justice system. And her human rights abuses should be swept under the rug. We don't mm-hmm. want to hear about them. As, now that she's chosen as the potential vice president, mm-hmm. we don't want to hear about them. Yeah, We can save our critique until afterwards. Once, once the politician has the power, then we'll levy the critique. We'll give them the power first mm-hmm. and then give them the critique. Yeah. What sense does that make? Ava DuVernay said that to critique Kamala Harris's insanity, I would say what Ava DuVernay is proposing yeah. is insanity. Because see, here it go. We didn't critique Barack. We didn't critique Barack. We seen him. Oh, my God, Jesus. And look, as a black man, I'll say this. If the Democratic Party and Biden and Kamala's uh, uh, campaign cannot sustain, cannot take the critique during this campaign of her mm-hmm. prosecutorial record, I don't think they should win. But, it, you know, if they if they can't take righteous critique, you know what I'm saying? Anybody talking about the critique about Kamala Harris's record is just Russian bots. Uh, come on, bro. I mean, what you and then what you think? What you think? What you think Trump gonna do with them in the debate? See, Trump he gonna say, well, Biden, you got a fucked up history of black people. And then when you was debating with Kamala, Kamala, you banged on him for that fucked up relationship with black people. Now you choose her as your running mate. He going to have fun with that. The black community is not supporting, not embracing Kamala like they did Obama. I, I, I probably will say that because when she tried to run for president. Dog, we ain't about to see no Kamala shirts. Yeah, we. they went hard. And, and 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 it was the black community that helped in a little bit of that pushback to her because we th- looked at her prosecutorial record, you know. Um, so I will say, it's certain segments of our community I'm seeing this nostalgia amongst. Not all, you know. And to me, it's more of a symbolism thing because when you ask people, well, what about a record? Oh, see, I ain't caring nothing about the record. I ain't. Why you don't care nothing about her record? They ain't said she, I mean, for all I know, she may get in and be all right. I ain't gonna just, I ain't gonna, hey, I'm, I'm always down to be proven wrong. I can take when I'm wrong. And as far as her record goes, as we get closer to the election, maybe that's something we'll actually take up in depth with yeah. the episode. This episode, we wanted to spend mostly talking about how her selection as the vice president has brought the light certain issues in terms of black politics and the effect of black celebrity commentary mm-hmm. and uh, just black elite culture yeah. on the discourse and the conversation around black politics and what our vote and what our relationship even means, you know, as far as our relationship with the United States. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, of course, this has brought a lot to light. Angela Davis, excited. Angela Davis holding up the New York Times newspaper talking about how excited she is about Kamala Harris being chosen as mm-hmm. Biden's running mate how she says it makes the ticket more palatable which might be true but then she Angela Davis starts talking about how uh, the con- to dwell within the contradictions 
that Kamala Harris brings forth hmm. is a feminist project, mm. right? So this, uh, an Indian American woman, Kamala Harris, having a record of human rights abuses and, you know, now running against Trump with Biden is, uh, you know, the dwelling of those contradictions is a feminist project. No, what it really is, it's just another manifestation of the oppressive, fascist, democratic system we have in this country, mm-hmm. which strips us of our ability to choose. Yeah. That's what it is. Why, why is it a feminist project to dwell in that? You just want to celebrate Kamala. Like just, just call it what it is. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a black woman. To see a black woman get this high spot, you know what I'm saying? It makes me proud. I know and, it doesn't mean... And, be, and that's what it is. Why, why, why not just come out and, and, and say that? You know what I'm saying? Just, just, just speak on, speak on the symbolism and the aesthetics that you love so much. Don't mm-hmm. try to paint it. Don't try to paint it and make it pretty for us. Mm-hmm. That's. It's always about a reality with something, and you know, you just got to be able to make those choices and and be able to put them in perspective. You know. So Angela, it's just crazy. Angela Davis holding up a newspaper that 50 years ago would might have her winter poster on it. <laughs> it ain't lying though You ain't lying You know what I'm saying 50 Yo, years ago I have her once post on it She's holding up smiling Talking about uh, This woman with, uh, Who's a prosecutor With human rights abusers On her record Chosen To be the running mate Of the architect Of the crime bill uh, In a, the moment Of a movement Against police Murder In the, mm-hmm. in the criminal justice system Two cops are chosen Basically Yeah you know, uh, to run the Democratic ticket. And it's something that Angela Davis is excited about. And she finds the fact that it's a black woman, it makes the ticket more palatable. Well, if the ticket was less palatable, would that encourage you to work in the streets more? Would that encourage you to work on a black agenda more? Does a, a, does a, a ticket that is more pleasing to us make us work less hard on a black agenda? That's what it seems like. That's, that's, if it's if if this ta- if this ticket all of a sudden becomes so much more palatable to where you know some people are saying I don't want to hear any critiques about Kamala because it's so important to get Trump out. Uh, black politics are is in a dire situation, much more dire than any academic politician or celebrity can appreciate. Mm-hmm. We just gotta you know be better. You know this is why we having this conversation. We got to look at all aspects of this and go at it from, you know, a head forward point of view. You know, um, I, I understand why people are excited. No, Tate, if I don't understand why people are excited, but I can see how people are excited. I I, I can sympathize with why people are excited. Yeah, you know what I'm know. saying? Because I understand it's coming from uh, a lack of experience, a lack of wisdom. You know, mm-hmm. and a lack of consciousness. Yeah, because I hate to say it, a lot of people that are that I'm hearing that's co-signing that, and even with Barack, they are new to politics. They were they weren't really politically active, and they probably wasn't really in the sense of having that radical revolutionary tradition or coming through it. But then we seen revolutionary traditionalists who co-signed Barack. And it's co-signing Kamala. So we just got to be watchful, keep keep an open eye, you know. Um, 
I invest, I encourage people, you know, to 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 look up, um, you know, various, you know, little articles on her, because she has a lot of little different things, you know, a lot of little off articles out that um can definitely help. I know one that I checked out was a, um, it's a New York Times article. Kamala Harris was not a progressive prosecutor, by Lara Bazelon. What year? Uh, that is 2019. So last year it came out. Yeah, came out uh, 2019. Um, that's definitely a good article because that's where I did a lot of my research at on her, and then I verified it, and it seemed to be pretty kosher. Um, anything else, honey? I I just leave the conversation at this, like, you know, we're if we can't bring ourselves to the place where we can critique. And, uh, you know, and keep the politics of our community and our self-determination in the center of our politics, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to be in a di- we're going to continue being in a dire situation. We're going to continue reacting. Yeah. We're going to continue reacting to what white society does to us. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't want to live my whole life reacting. I don't want to yeah. see my community you know, during my whole lifetime, see my community in that place. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, there's no doubt that Kamala Harris is, you know, a step in the right direction from Trump and Biden. True indeed. And no, I also think that Biden, if elected, won't stay in office all <laughs> his first term. I'm gonna keep it real. I think that's one of the main reasons why they put her up in there. So, bro, I think, bro he ain't gonna man. I don't know, man. He he looking a little frail, bro. You know. So uh, we'll see what comes out of, out of all this, Aki. And uh, there's so much to. That we want to get to today You know We're running a little bit over You yes, know Yeah So we're going to leave it at that I think And uh You know Just say you know New Africans We should not put our destiny On the back burner For America's destiny True I co-signed that to the fuck You actually wrote that I wrote that from the notes Oh okay Then I Yeah that, that was you You that know you forget you. shit in your mind sometimes You know when your <laughs> mind be gone so uh, we're going to leave it at that, y'all. And uh, free to land. Free to land. Catch y'all next week. Peace.